0: element from wherever you are. Again, whether it is Santa Maria, Lompoc, Napomo, Vandenberg Air Force Base, Rio Grande, uh, Orchid, because it's so far away from us, uh, Texas, Colorado, Utah, New Mexico. My wife was talking to somebody this week from Oaxaca, Mexico and says, how come Aaron, never says Oaxaca, Mexico? And she said, well, have you sent in a hello element video? And they said, no. And she goes... There you go. Uh, actually, I was talking to Jonathan Whitaker, uh, our main elder at Element Colorado Springs, who is deployed in Baghdad, although he's actually in Kuwait right now. After flying there, they quarantine him for 14 days, and they asked him to speak at a worship service tomorrow on base, so he said, this is amazing. You got uh, Element Christian Church Kuwait now. I thought it was kind of funny, but whatever. It's kind of cool. So, We are playing it by ear what's happening week to week with all the things that are going on with the county and regulations and meetings, so stay tuned for what's going on next week. Also, uh, at the end of this message, I want to bring this together and kind of address some of the unrest that's going on in our country right now, so... I'm not going to do it at the outset. I'm going to try and dovetail it into what we're talking about this morning so we can understand how God's Spirit is moving in us and what He is calling us into as a people. So uh, if you would like to, you can download this app on your mobile device called Uversion. When you download it, it will just say Bible. When you open that up, you put more and then events, and we will come up by GPS if you're in our area. If not, put in 93455, 5, and then you'll come up and you will get the sermon notes, the verses, the questions, the announcements. Uh, the things that we go through this morning. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here, and this is the reading of God's Word. This is Acts 19, verses 1 and 2. And it says, And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to walk with you as your Spirit leads and guides us. What it means to be a people who are filled with your Spirit. And how that infilling then uh, takes us out in how we live our lives in the world that is around us. We ask that you would teach us to always come back to the Scriptures and the truth that you have provided by that guiding of your Spirit. Uh, teach us to trust you in all the Places that we find ourselves in today that sometimes seem so out of control. but teach us to trust you where we are, living for your glory where we are. Amen. Amen. So uh, if you'd like to, you can open your Bibles to Acts chapter 19. That's where we are, all, where we are at right now. And Acts 19 comes right out of Acts 18. And it kind of seems like the last few chapters just flow into one another. Luke actually is connecting the last few chapters together. So Luke, uh, Acts 19, verse 1, Luke says this. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. And so the, that verse right there connects it with what happened at the end of chapter 18, where Apollos comes into this area, and he believes in Jesus, but he doesn't really know everything, so he is instructed more accurately in the way of knowing who Jesus is, and that dovetails into what happens today, because Paul is going to go into an area and talk to a people who don't believe in Jesus yet, but also instruct them more accurately in what the truth looks like, and in doing so, we're going to talk through a couple of things that people have a lot of questions about. One of them this week will be the issue of tongues, and next week we'll talk about the issue of exorcism and demon possession. You don't want to miss that. It's going to be a whole lot of fun or not, depending on how you take my words. But what I want to say is that there are a lot of people who have differing opinions than I do in this. There's people who are a lot more intelligent than I am, who come at it from a different perspective, and I'm okay with that. And if you want to disagree with me on what I say this morning, I'm okay with that as well. What we need to understand is that Element is not a church, where you have to agree with everything I say and wear my uh, special Adidas sneakers and our FlexFit Element hats and drink our magic Kool-Aid. We are people who believe that as long as we love Jesus together and worship Him in the essentials, that Jesus is God, He came for us, He died for our sins, He rose from the grave. There's a lot of other things that are open-handed issues. And tongues is one of those open-handed issues. So I want to talk through it. I'll tell you what I really think about it. Uh, the, Ele- the elders at Element run in what we call a reformed vein of theology, but you don't have to be reformed to be part of us. So having said that, let's talk about Paul, Acts 19, Ephesus. And to give you the background of Ephesus, because I won't have time to do this next week, I'm going to tell you a lot about the background of this city. Uh, Ephesus is one of the leading cities and one of the most prosperous regions of the Roman Empire. Part of it is that it is one of the few places that had a good harbor, a decent roads, and a usable river. And what happens because of that is it happened to bring about the exercise of commerce, the free exercise of commerce. Literally all roads led to Ephesus. Almost all geographical markers led outward from Ephesus. If you can compare it to Santa Maria, compare that to Santa Maria, it is not really the same. Santa Maria is not a port city, it's not a major hub, it doesn't set a whole lot of cultural trends. If you didn't know that, you're welcome. Now you're up to date. But we are close to Santa Barbara, and Santa Barbara is close to Los Angeles, and we're cheaper to live, which means sometimes we do get the overflow from those places. And with the mostly free exercise of commerce comes the free exercise of ideas, which then leads into a lot of nutty things being talked about and accepted. I mean, just look at America today, right? Some people think it is a legitimate profession to sue others by faking your injuries. Uh, Some people think that reality TV is good. Some people think it's okay to run for government office and live off we the people for the rest of their lives. It takes all kinds. But this free exchange of ideas, just like in America, happens in Ephesus in things about spirituality and how spirituality plays out in the world. As an example, at Ephesus in this time, magic was seen as an extension of your own or other spirituality. They believed that the world was filled with good and evil and there's a world that was beyond ours that's involved with the affairs of our world. And Christians believe that as well. We just see it differently than they did. Like in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12, Paul will say to those in this city, That our warfare is not just against flesh and blood. It's bigger than that. There are other forces at work as well. The people in Ephesus believe that there is this dark and this spiritual world that exists alongside ours. But they believe that world wasn't ruled over by Jesus. Which really becomes the theme of the book of Ephesians. And what you see in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he will say things like, Christ is over all. All things are under His feet. He is the head of all things. He talks like that because these people live in a city, in a world that believed that Jesus wasn't over everything. And yet they would consider themselves to be very spiritual. Again, just like America today, because in America, we are not filled with atheists. Statistically speaking, there are more people in America who will claim to be spiritual than brush their teeth every single day. But what do spiritual people pray to? What do they believe in? For a lot of people, it doesn't really matter as long as you are spiritual. Like they used to have this thing called bookstores. And if you went into a bookstore, they would have these different sections. And one of the sections would be spirituality. And spirituality would really be whatever you want the Sky Fairy to be. We'll talk about that in all these places. There isn't really a section called God because that hits too close to home. And, oh, is is there a God? No, no. We're just going to go with spirituality. There's a section called religion. And religion is about all of the ways that we try to define who God is. And this is really what Ephesus is like. It's many gods, no clarity, everyone doing their own thing, and everybody is lost without Jesus. And you will see this how Luke walks through Acts chapter 19. He will first talk to Christians or to Jews, moving them into Christianity, and then he will talk about the mainly spiritual people who are there. And so what you'll see is the difference between spirituality and faith in the one true God. And so in Acts 19, Paul will pull into this city of approximately 250,000 people who are all trying to manipulate or manage this unseen realm. And that's important for our culture today. Because if you come to a place where you realize there is evil in the world, and with what's happening right now, who could not think that there's evil in the world. But when you do that, you realize you have to become spiritual in some sense because something is out there. And usually, evil causes people to be fearful and they will jump to spiritual things to try to protect themselves from that evil, which again, we'll talk about more next week. Suffice to say that Ephesus. Is a lot like America, especially when you talk about the spiritual realm. Like, again, as long as you're spiritual, it doesn't matter what you believe. It sounds open and accepting, but really what it is, it's the exact opposite from that. So, Acts 19, starting in verse 1, this is what happens. And it happened that while Paulus was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So, what you have here, these are disciples of John the Baptizer. They were part of what was called the Kingdom of God movement that John launched. Uh, They want to follow God. They have been baptized, maybe even by John himself. But Paul's question to figure out what they truly believe, really about how you become part of the family of God is, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And their answer is, no, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Now, people will take this and they will start to talk about that this is proof that whoever believes in Jesus must speak in tongues because that's what will happen when they get to the point where they do believe in Jesus. But that's not really what the text says. See, Paul asks about the Holy Spirit because every person who has the Holy Spirit who is saved or born again, they are placed into the family of God. That's what baptism means. Baptism was used in reference, that word, to like a ship that went down under the water. What happens is God's Spirit takes us, and He places us, He immerses us, He baptizes us into the family of God. That's how we become part of the family of God. The Holy Spirit does that for us. This is the trajectory of where Acts is going. That's how we become born again. So what Paul does is he asks this question, how do you think you become part of the family of God? And their response is very works-based. That's how I get into the kingdom. I it's a, it's a thing of repentance. I do these works. That's how I got in. So it really helps Paul to understand where they're at. Now, this is kind of funny how they didn't even hear that there was a Holy Spirit, because this still happens in certain moments in my life today. Like, I have been invited to be part of certain things because I'm a pastor, and I'm the quintessential, too long, didn't read anything at all. So, I tend to miss a lot of stuff. Uh, I was doing, for the first time, this community Good Friday service. And I walked into this room with all these pastors, and they handed me this card with a name on it. And I said... Well, what's that for? And they said, that's to give to the slide guy when you get up there because you already sent him your PowerPoint, right? And I said, I have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. I mean, I haven't even heard that there is a PowerPoint presentation. And they said it's in the email. And I'm like, yeah, well, I didn't read the email. That's how my life kind of works. So it still happens today. I did not even hear this was, was something that was there. Uh, actually, in the latter part of the 18th century, there's some colonists from Virginia and they are going west. And as they start to go west, uh, some of their wagon wheels break. Some of their animals die. They're a little afraid of the Native Americans. So they end up holed up into the mountains in, in West Virginia. And no one has even talked to them for like 20 years until this other group of travelers start heading through there. And they go, oh, wow, you got your own community. Well, how is this Continental Congress and the New Americas treating you? And they're like, We have not even heard of George Washington or Revolutionary War. They thought that they were still citizens underneath the British crown. It's kind of like Rip Van Winkle. They fall asleep and they wake up to a different world, but they didn't even know things have changed. They did not know about Christ's death and resurrection for them. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean that they didn't know anything about God's Spirit, because he came upon Jesus when Jesus was baptized. John taught that the Messiah would come, and the Messiah would would baptize believers with the Spirit and with fire. And so what most likely happened is they're a group of disciples getting together at the local synagogue, and then they meet as a separate subgroup later. That might have even been how Paul met them. They might have believed that Jesus was actually just another teacher in the line of John the Baptist. So Paul has to reset them. This is what he says, verse 3, "...and he," that's Paul, "...said, into what then were you baptized? They said, "...into John's baptism." And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. I'm sure there's some explaining to do, probably all the stuff we've talked about in Acts so far. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. What tends to happen now is people lose all sight and focus of what the text is going towards, and they focus on that thing about tongues, and they get into a debate about tongues. I will not do that, but suffice to tell you that the Holy Spirit Spirit here is evidence of salvation, not evidence of tongues. There are different occurrences of tongues throughout the book of Acts. It's been to the disciples, to the Gentiles, here to John's disciples. Luke is showing each of these occurrences to show that the Holy Spirit is bringing all people into the family of God. The kingdom of God is not just for a small racial subset of people in a Hebrew lineage. It is for all people. In Acts, what you read is the first time that tongues is listed. When the Holy Spirit comes upon these disciples, it's for a purpose. In Acts chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, it says Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontius, and, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Now, the word tongues is the word glossa, and it's where we get our word glossary from. In the book of Acts, it's literally known languages. And this was the point. You had all these people there, and you're able to declare the wonders of God in their own language. Ephesus is a city with lots of roads to it and going out of it. That could be an amazing sign for people around them. In the Bible, what you will see is two different things. You will see what are called prescriptive texts. And prescriptive texts will tell you what we need to do. Husbands, love your wives. Dead is bad. Don't murder. Don't drink light beer. That's not in there, but it should be. Uh, then you have what are called descriptive texts. And descriptive text tells us simply what happened. Uh, This area was invaded. This king did this. Judas hung himself. Sometimes people who read the Bible, we tend to confuse those two things. Like if you read, Judas went out and hung himself. It does not mean that you must go out and hang yourself. You don't need to think, oh, i got to hang myself. It's in the Bible. It, It tells you what happened, not what you always have to do. And so a lot of Acts, they are descriptive texts. Now, yes, we can learn things from them, but it doesn't mean we always have to do everything that is in them. This doesn't tell us that everyone has to go out and speak in tongues. And don't get me wrong. God can do that if he wants to. I am not a cessationist. I believe that God's gift can still be utilized today. But so often people run around, they seek the gift and not the giver of the gift. They think, oh, I need this thing. I need this thing. When God says, no, you need my spirit, which is going to place you into the family of God. It is about reconciliation. It's about God bringing the world together for The glory of God. So Paul comes into this town and he talks to these guys who say, Well, we we know God. And he asks some questions to get a further understanding of what they really know about God. When someone shows up to Element and they're very excited about a whole lot of things, I typically ask them, Well, who is Jesus? Because I need to know what they know about who Jesus actually is. And so Paul, when he talks to these guys, it's like when you turn to Christ, God gives you the Holy Spirit. He brings us to God himself, a relationship with him. That's the first thing he talks about in Acts 19 and coming to Ephesus. Now later, when Paul will write his book to the Ephesians, it is also the first thing he will talk about in the book of Ephesians. We are a people who are promised God's Spirit, who will take away our heart of stone, and He will give us a heart of flesh so we can once again hear God's leading and God's guidance. The Holy Spirit is meant to lead us and guide us and convict us. Paul asks, do you have the Spirit? Now, once more, Luke does not say that tongue always accompanies such baptism. N.T. Wright actually uh, warns us against making this a prescriptive text. He says, there isn't anything about this passage that should be taken as normative for subsequent church life. In fact, to look at the passage in that way may well be to misunderstand it from the start. Because the main thing Luke is doing in Acts 19 is introducing Paul's work in Ephesus, what the Spirit is doing through him. And from the very beginning, Paul is concerned about the work of the Spirit in believers' lives have been born again or replaced into the family of God because that's how it works. So what does Paul do after talking to these 12 men? Acts 19, verse 8. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord both Jews and Greeks. Now as I said in the beginning, Ephesus is like every city and in every city everybody thinks they know a bit of something and the bit of something they know is more important than whatever they think you know. Like today, some people you will talk to about Jesus and they love him and change and some people are very obstinate and will't listen because they think they know better than listening to you. Paul goes into Ephesus and talks to 12 guys who eventually believe, probably after, again, some clarification. Then he goes to the synagogue, as was his custom to where Orthodox Jews were. And for three months he talks about Jesus. No progress at all. The other guys is like, 10 minutes, Jesus, sweet, we're in. Uh, There is this old saying by the Puritans that says, "...the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay." Paul talks to them for three months, but he doesn't give up speaking about the gospel. And eventually what he will do is simply go around them. He will go to start to talk to the Greeks and the Gentiles. He goes to this place called the Hall of Tyrannus. That would be like a community place where you would rent a room and teach from. The Greek word for hall relates to the word for scholar. So either uh, this is a public auditorium that was most likely owned by or the main teacher was a guy named Tyrannus. But Paul sets up a class and teaches for two years. In the end, he will stay in Ephesus three years. That is twice as long as anywhere else. And why does he do that? Because it is strategic. It's a strategic place to be. And Paul does what most churches should be doing. You don't need to go to the Hall of Tyrannus. What churches should do is help one another to understand the scriptures, equip one another to live missionally in communities, than going out of the place called the quote-unquote church. And it's meant to go with people who have normal nine-to-five jobs and goes into our families and all of our lives, where we begin to open our homes, where we begin to reflect upon the scriptures and speak the gospel to one another. And so we begin to reach our city with the Grace of God. What happens in Ephesus? So that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And this really plays into what happens next week and, and what goes along with this. What we are a people who need to understand is that we simply need God's Spirit to lead and guide us. As we gather together and learn what the gospel is and how to live that out, as we scatter into our neighborhoods and jobs and schools and friendships, the Holy Spirit comes and releases his fullness into our lives. And this is grace that leads to ongoing faith in Jesus. It brings a vibrancy. And maybe you are someone who believed in Christ a month ago, a year ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And maybe you're starting to feel like your faith is fading. That there's no vitality there. This could be brought on by maybe some of the current riots or maybe COVID-19. What Acts 19 reminds us is that we must always be a people who come back to square one, which is the foot of the cross. We cast everything on Jesus because the church of Jesus Christ desperately needs the Spirit's vitality today. There are typically three kinds of people in churches. The first one is non-Christians. Hopefully there are people who don't know Jesus in every single church. And seriously, if if that's you today, I ask that you would trust Jesus because God promises to give you his spirit. He will encourage you to live for him throughout your life in, in salvation. God gives you his spirit. Then there are committed Christians. But committed Christians also every single day need to surrender their hearts to Jesus to be filled with the Holy Spirit daily in order to live out the great love that God has first given us. And then there are Christians who are overcome by everything in the world that distracts us from the call of Christ in our lives. And there are a lot of things in our world right now that are distracting from the call of Christ in our lives. And we all end up here at certain given points. And if we are honest, it's probably more often than we'd like to admit to other people around us. And Jesus, what he will do is give great advice for us in the book of Revelation when he speaks to the church of Ephesus. And he will say to them, remember your first love. Remember where it starts. Remember what I did to rescue you. The only way we live in this vitality is remembering God's great love for us. And we do that by listening to God's spirit as it continually leads us back to that place. We are a people who call ourselves a church. A church is not a building. It is the people who live in the vitality of the spirit of God the spirit of god enables us to go out into the world to proclaim his grace which the world so desperately needs our culture again is much like ephesus where everybody thinks they know a bit of something and no one is listening to the spirit of god and many times that includes people in the church because we got to understand with all the stuff that is going on right now that most people who are racist don't think that they're racist and most people that don't see those things in in themselves and so we have to ask as Christians how do we want and live out the best for our fellow man around us. And in this blog that I wrote last week, which I really wrote to talk to you about this morning, is that we have to understand that the Bible and the scriptures, it was not written in a vacuum. The Bible in its content is timeless and God breathed, but it is informed by the place and where it was written. And so where when and where it was written the first book of the Old Testament Genesis when it was penned Israel was surrounded by all of these other cultures around them each of these cultures had their own religions and their own gods and they all had this hierarchical way of looking at life And at the top, there were the gods. And underneath the gods, there was the king, whatever country or nation or whatever was there. And under that king, there were then everybody in the political sphere and then all the workers. And at the bottom of it all, there were peasants and slaves. Because the king was the one who was closest to the gods, he was seen as semi-divine. He was the only one who was actually seen to be made in the image of the gods. Just it, just that guy, just the king. And this becomes a dividing line between the king and everybody else. As a matter of fact, when you get down to peasants and slaves, they were thought to be made by inferior gods, because they were inferior than everybody else. The king was the one who mediated everything between the gods and the people. That is simply how the world worked. And what God does in the book of Genesis is He's going to try and reset everybody to what He originally intended, of how creation actually happened. And so Genesis starts with God creating and ordering the world. At the pinnacle of this creation, He makes humankind. And this is what He says in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. Verse 27, so God created man in His own image. In the image of God He created him, male and female He created them. Now, that word man refers to dust, and it refers to all that God made, all humankind is summed up in that statement. And then the word for image, most scholars believe, is a word that was borrowed from these other cultures. Why, in the scriptures, would God take and use a word borrowed from these other cultures so that they would understand what he is trying to say? This word is called selim. And when every other culture you'd sell him, it only referred to the king, the one and only person made in the image of the gods that created him. But when God speaks and God talks about creating everything, including mankind, it, he says that I have created all of you in my selim, in my image, not just the king, but everybody. And that statement in Genesis should be the single most world-changing statement about human dignity, worth, and equality ever recorded. We should bet all of our lives, even people who don't believe should bet their lives on that statement in Genesis and what God just spoke. Because imagine what it would do for the hearts of peasants and slaves and everybody upon this entire planet if we all realized truly in our hearts that we're all made in the image of the one great God. Male and female, slaves and peasants, all races made in God's very image. This is why it's important for people who say they love God to know the scriptures and actually live them out. In the wake of this pandemic where everybody's on the edge, there are acts of violence who have been perpetrated on people who we deem as less than. And so as a pastor, what I have to do as a shepherd is constantly reset people and bring you back to the gospel and the scriptures and what God speaks about. These unchanging words that are so relevant today that were written so long ago. We are all made in the image of God. The word Selem is sometimes used for idols or images. In these ancient religions, they would have images of their gods that they would carve into gold or stone or clay or or bronze. The God of the Bible clearly says, do not make any graven images of me because you're going to worship the images. And my image in the world is supposed to be you and how you live your life. We are all image bearers. And whenever we see a person on this planet being abused or torn down or humiliated, it should make us sick because the image of God is being desecrated. Sometimes we'll look at the news and we'll see all these things taking place and riots and, and vandalism and we think, oh, that's terrible. We should be so much more offended and in deeper anguish when the image of God is destroyed before our very eyes. I was listening to a couple of people talk about what happened to George Floyd last weekend and they said what it makes it even more sad is that he was a Christian. And my first response is, yeah, that does make it more sad. And my second response is, I catch myself. And I think, why should George Floyd being a Christian make that more tragic? Is it because we start to think he deserved it less than other people because he had qualities that we would define as redeeming? Until we realize it's tragic simply because he was an image bearer of God and was treated that way, apart from color and apart from lifestyle and apart from belief, these type of things will continue to happen because of color and because of lifestyle and because of beliefs. As I said at the beginning, most people who are racist don't think they're racist. Most people who are intolerant of others do not think they're intolerant of others. I know people who think they are the epitome of peace and love and grace, and yet they want the President of the United States to die horribly, slowly would be preferable to them. And I know people who think they are level-headed and compassionate and able to fairly look at issues around them, yet those they disagree with, they find shallow and short-sighted and stupid. We all do it. How are we able to ever see our own biases? It's by listening to God's Spirit, as He leads us to understand who we are and who He is. And then we must be willing to stand up for the image of God in others or we are not acting as image bearers of God. We are called, as a community of people, to understand that our hope in salvation is not based upon what we have done. It is not based upon how smart or how good or put together we are. Our only hope is in Jesus Christ, His death to remove our sin-stoked callous hearts, His resurrection which restores us to God, His Spirit which comes and leads us and guides us every single day. We are a people saved by His grace and not our own. We are a community who are meant to treat everybody as image bearers of God. Nobody on the top, nobody on the bottom. Where the richest and the poorest come together and love one another with honor and respect simply because we see each other as God sees us. Billy Graham once said, The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And that is true. We must become a community where the powerful see those with no power and treat them like children of the king because they are. Where young and old and black and white and male and female and everything in between come together in love. And what that means is it's more than Facebook posts and it's more than Instagram memes and it's more than blog posts or on websites or even sermons given from the front of a church. We must be a people who truly understand other people are the image of God and it's because of creation. Frederick Buechner, who is one of my favorite writers in things like this about compassion, he writes this, compassion is the sometimes fatal capacity for feeling what it is like to live inside somebody else's skin. It is the knowledge that there can never really be any peace and joy for me until there is peace and joy finally for you too. Have you thought about that? about the people around us made in the image of God that there's not really true peace for me until there's peace for all of them because we are called to be peacemakers too often we'll look at the news and see it as spectacle we don't allow it to touch us and it must touch us if we were to understand the image of God and others we must try to understand why there is so much fear and confusion lodged side by side in a community that feels a certain way Bigner writes this, if we are to love our neighbors before doing anything else, we must see our neighbors with our imagination as well as our eyes. That is to say, like artists, we must not see just their faces, but the life behind and within their faces. When Jesus talks to the Israelites about this, in Luke chapter 10, he gives this parable called the Good Samaritan. To every single Israelite, a Samaritan was less than they were the other. they were racially outcast, and yet this whole thing shows how this Samaritan had mercy on an Israelite, and in the end Jesus will say, "Go, be like the Samaritan now there 's probably a lot of different ways that works out for us, depending on where you are, what neighborhood you live in, you know what, what place, but we are we 're all supposed to honor the image of God in others. show mercy." Identify with the outcasts and the marginalized. We stand for righteousness in the face of injustice. It's like I said last week. Buechner says, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meets. Because our gladness must be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Of God's rescue of us. And that gladness then should go out and begin to feed the world's hunger in that spiritualized world where everything is spiritual and nobody knows the truth. We must take the gospel out and live with the strength and guidance of God's spirit. We are called to be a people who understand that we are made by God for His glory, and ultimately, all of us belong to Him. First Corinthians six nineteen and twenty says, "You are not your own; if you were bought with the price. So glorify God in your body." May we be a people. Who start to process these events deeply, seeking what God's Spirit longs to teach us in moments like these, and then let those moments lead us on behalf of others to love all image bearers around us. And so, what we have done for you uh, in your notes today, you, there actually be a blog post goes out right after this message, and these are prayer points that we're giving you because the first place we got to start is prayer. We've got to seek the face of God and what he is saying to us and where he's leading us. So we encourage you to look at the prayer points. They're in the sermon notes. that are in the U version. Uh, pray through those things because in the midst of that, God is probably going to take and start leading us to see things the way that he sees them a little bit better. Where we will begin to step out into places to speak of his hope and his grace to actively engage in places where we need to actively engage but also take some moments to take a step back and figure out, do I need to jump here or do I need to walk over here? We allow God's Spirit to lead us and guide us because that's what God's Spirit does. He places us into the family of God. He constantly reminds us of the good news of God's rescue of us in the gospel. And He calls us back to Himself. So I encourage you to grab those prayer prayer points, pray through them, maybe alone uh, with your spouse, with your family, and begin to talk through these things that you see in the world in an honest way. And ask God's spirit to lead us all to the place where we understand that it is God who brings us into his family by his own grace. Now I'm going to ask the band to come up. And as they do, if you would like to today to take communion, uh, you can do that. Uh, we at Element here, we have these individual cups. They look like this. And inside of these cups, they're, they're sealed. So you peel up the top and there's a cracker in there. If you'd like to, you can break that cracker. You can drink the one-shot grape juice that is in there. You can dip it in there if you like. But it's all meant to be a reminder of what Christ has done to rescue and save us. That his body was broken like that cracker is broken when we eat it or when we break it. That his blood was shed for you and me. Why? Because God cares for us as a people. God cares for us as his image bearers in the world. And God wants to restore us to be those image bearers. And we do that because of His great rescue of us. And I' encourage you today, if you would like to take communion, remember who God has called us all to be in the world, and allow His spirit to lead us not out of fear, not out of anger, not out of misunderstanding, but with a purpose to understand who we are created to be. And if you need prayer, you know maybe something's going on in your life, or you'd even like us to pray for someone else who is around you. Uh, if you're watching online, you can put it on the side of the, of the YouTube stream. If you would like, you can send an email to connectourelement.org. If you are here this morning, you can grab one of the leaders to go aside and socially distance <laughs> and pr- pray with you. But we would, we would love to be able to pray with you for the leading of God's spirit in all of our lives to move us to who we were always called to be. His image bearers in the world. Because I know it is a difficult time, it is a confusing time, but God has never changed and God is consistent and God is sovereign and God can bring beauty out of any simple thing that humans do. And so we trust him to lead us and guide us. And if you need prayer, we'd love to pray with you. Uh, In this room itself, there are offering boxes on all the walls, but a lot of you guys aren't here. And so if you'd like to, you can still give. You can give online at our website. Uh, You can mail a check if you'd like, uh, 4890 Bethany Lane, Santa Maria, California, 93455. Uh, We are still giving to a lot of things around us as well. And so we believe giving is simply part of our worship. We invite you this week to take those prayer points and sit down with one another and talk through some of the unsurety of what's going on in the world to live as a community with each other, whether it's by Zoom or whether you're here talking with one another, that begin to be a people who are centered upon the gospel first because that's how we become a people that live out the great love with which we have first been given, by listening to God's Spirit and then going out and living in the world as His image bearers, calling all people to know God's great salvation of us. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would take us and remind us daily to be filled with your spirit. To be a people who listen as you reset us to hear what you are saying to us as a people. That we would understand that our salvation is given to us as a great gift by you. It is not something we earn by being better than everybody else. Our salvation doesn't make us more than anybody else. Our salvation is a restoration to relationship with you and calling in our lives. Just like originally, when you called Abraham and you said, I'm going to bless you for the purpose of being a blessing, I ask that we would also understand that, that we are a people who have been saved in order to be a blessing to those around us. And so I ask that your spirit would lead us and convict us and guide us how to properly be that blessing, how to properly speak of hope, how to truly be peacemakers in the midst of chaos, how to actually truly be your hands and feet in the world. And so we ask Father, that your spirit would come and it would infuse us with that vitality that only comes from you. And we would live lives and honor you in what we say and what we do because we are children that live in the kingdom of God. We thank you for your great grace given to us. And we ask all these things in your son's good name. Amen. Amen.